Thank you for joining us for today's Practical Living broadcast, and I pray that through this message that you will learn how to apply God's Word and truths to any situation in your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Well, today we continue a series we started last weekend that will take us through uh, this month and the rest of next month together, entitled, What to Do When. I want to talk to you this weekend about what to do when you want to say no. What to do when you want to say no. In this series, we're taking a look at various scenarios of life when we are confronted with decisions and we don't really know what to do. We don't know the answer, the right steps to take. And as a part of our focal point in this series, we're looking at the Old Testament book of Jonah and the life story of Jonah. For many people, the life story of Jonah is wrapped around one particular uh, idea, one particular event. That's the fact that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. We know the story of Jonah and the whale is our primary understanding of this, this particular book of the Bible. But the book of Jonah is far, far more than that. I want to outline for you uh, today and in the weeks that will unfold the uh, real lessons for us in the life of Jonah, because Jonah learned something about what to do when various events happened in his life. Who was Jonah? Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. He prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. You might recall, as I described last weekend, at a certain point in time in Israel's history, the nation was divided. It became split. There were 10 tribes to the north, and the prophets referred to those 10 tribes as Israel, and there were two tribes to the south, and that was referred to as Judah. And so Jonah is a prophet to the northern kingdom with a a succession of kings that go throughout history. And when Jonah comes on the scene, he is ministering during the time of Jeroboam II, about 750 years before Christ was born. And during this particular time in Israel's history, the northern tribe, they were prospering and doing quite well under the leadership of Jeroboam. Jeroboam was leading them, at least from a financial standpoint, uh, certainly an economic standpoint, things were going well, but there was something else that they were having to deal with that was the luminous threat of a group of people, a nation above them that could swoop down upon them at any time, and that nation was Assyria. And Assyria was a growing world power. And so the ten tribes of Israel were very fearful of the fact that at any point in time, this this growing company of people, group of people, nation of people called Assyria could sweep down upon them and destroy them. The capital city of Assyria was Nineveh, and we'll come to that in just a moment and talk a little bit more about Nineveh. Let's see how the book opens. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1, that was our focus last week. Let's continue reading now through verse 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, again Jonah's a prophet, speaking to the northern kingdom about 750 B.C., The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh, that was the capital city of Assyria, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, that's modern day Jaffa, or it's the southern, just sort of on the southern tip of the modern day city of Tel Aviv. You might recognize that name on the Mediterranean Sea. So he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from 
the Lord. So here we see in this story the call that God issues to this man, this prophet named Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. We described that last weekend and how it's very important that all of us hear the word of the Lord to us. But in this case, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and there was a very specific, clear message given to Jonah. Let's take a look again at what that message was. Here's the message. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah, go to the capital city of the Assyrians and I want you to preach preach against it, that is, preach a message that calls them to repentance. It was not a message of condemnation or judgment, but a message that gave them an opportunity to repent because it's wickedness. God says, I've had enough of its wickedness. They've got one chance to turn around. Now, if you know anything about world history, you will realize that Assyria was one of the most vicious, atrocious, horrible world powers that ever existed, the way they treated their captives, it goes beyond anything that I would even be willing to describe here today. Very mean, very cruel. So God saw this, and he says, Jonah, I'm sending you to preach against them, to bring a message that calls them to change their ways, to turn in repentance to me, so that the judgment of God can be removed from them. Now, here's the message. It's very clear. How does Jonah respond? Here we see it in verse number three. We read it a moment ago, but look at it again. God says, go to Nineveh, preach against them. Jonah does what? He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. It's a key word, key city there. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want you to get a picture of what happened here as we look at this diagram or this map again. Here is Israel, the northern kingdom, and this is where Jonah prophesied. He prophesied to the northern kingdom. And so God speaks to him and says, I want you, Jonah, to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh was a huge city, a walled city, and the trip from Israel to Nineveh was about 800 miles. It's about the same distance uh, from here to, say, Orlando, Florida. So that was about the distance they would need to travel to get to Nineveh. But instead of going to Nineveh, he goes down to Joppa, which is, again, modern day known as Jaffa. My wife and I have been there before. You can go to that port to this day. Again, the southern portion of Tel Aviv. He goes there. He gets on a boat. I want you to see where he goes. Now, if you know anything about geography, ancient geography, uh, you know that this is Spain here, okay? And so Spain is right on that. Of course, Portugal is here now as well. But this is at the tip of, uh, of this, this portion of, uh, of Europe. And so here he goes as far as he possibly can go. In fact, he's now gone to the very edge of the Mediterranean Sea before the Mediterranean Sea goes into the Atlantic Ocean. He could not have gone any farther than he goes, okay? So God says, go here. And where does Jonah head for? He heads for here. Does that sound like you sometimes? The question is, why? Why did he do this? Why, when God says, I just want you to go and preach to these people and give them an opportunity to repent, why wouldn't you do that? And there's a very key reason why Jonah would not go to Nineveh and preach because he knew the nature of God. 
He knew and understood the fact that God was a merciful and gracious God. And at the very slightest sign of repentance on the part of the Ninevites, God would relent from bringing judgment upon them and he would release blessing upon them. And Jonah did not want them to be blessed. Jonah hated the Assyrians. Jonah wanted the Assyrians to be destroyed. They were the arch enemies of Israel. And so he certainly did not want to see blessing come to the Assyrians. He wanted to see God wipe them off the planet. So God says, go and preach. And God, Jonah says, not going because I know as soon as I preach, they're going to repent. You're going to be nice to them? I don't want you to be nice to them. So I'm going as far away from them as I possibly can go, and he runs in that opposite direction. In fact, it's interesting when you read the story, especially chapter one of the story of Jonah, as we're working our way through, it seems as though Jonah preferred dying over doing the will of God. Okay. He did not want to do, he was, he's just certainly content to be thrown overboard, as we'll see, and to die rather than to do God's will, that God, what God was asking him to do. So what lessons are we learning from these verses? What do you do when you want to say no? Because I think this would, I think you would all agree with me, this is a really big no, right? Okay. This is a really big no. So what do you and I do when we want to say no, especially when we want to say no to God? I want to encourage you to remember three things today. When you want to say no, remember this, that God has plans for your life. That seems like a very simplistic statement, and in some ways it is, but I think we fail to grasp the reality of that statement at times. It's a very important beginning point for all of us. It's something that people often will say they believe. Yes, I believe that God has plans for my life, or I believe that God has plans for people's lives. But often we don't live as though we actually believe it's true. We might say, yeah, I believe God has a plan for my life, and then we go on living our life our way. We never stop to think about really what is God's plan for my life. We, we don't really stop to seek that plan, to understand that plan. Now, what is a plan? A plan is something that describes details. If you're building a building, you have a set of plans that describe all the details of what's to go up when and what materials are to be used and how the process is to follow a certain sequence of events. If you're involved in project management, you know that when you're establishing plans for a project, you're establishing the details of how things flow and the order in which they flow and how all those things flow and work together. And so plans are all about the details of your life. And God cares about the details, the sequential details of your life and my life. God has a set of plans for your life. A set of plans, yes, for your life. Did God have a, have a plan for Jonah's life? We know that he did because it's very clear. And as surely as God had a set of plans for Jonah's life, he does for you as well. Let me describe the plans of God for your life in general terms. I'll give you four dimensions of God's plans for your life. The first plan that God has for your life is to teach you and show you how you are to live your life. The basic sense of how you're actually to go about living your life. What are you, how are you to behave? What are to be the actions and attitudes of your life? Micah 6.8 describes as he has shown you, O man, O mortal man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? Notice that phrase. What does the Lord require of you to? Here it is, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk 
humbly with your God. This is God's plan for your life, that you would learn how to act justly. What that means is walk in righteousness, do the right thing with your life and how you live your life and how you treat other people. To love mercy, that is to let love be something that permeates your life and is demonstrated through your life mercifully and compassionately to other people. And to walk humbly, to never let pride or arrogance be a part of your demeanor, a part of the way you approach life and approach others. This is how we are to live. And so God's plan for your life involves how you are to live. God's plan for your life involves what you are to do with your life, how you're to expend the days of your life, what you are to actually do. When you were born, you were given a birth date. We celebrate it annually. It's called our birthday. And there's a time that you received, your parents received a birth certificate describing the day you were born, the time you were born, the place you were born. All those details are on your birth certificate. There'll be another day in your life that you will die, okay? If Jesus doesn't return before that time, all of us are going to die at some point in time. And then those who are left behind, your loved ones, will receive a death certificate. The death certificate will describe when you die, the day that you die, the time that you die, the cause of your death. All those details will be on your death certificate. And so in life, your life has two bookends, this life, birthday, date of your death. In between is something we call the dash of life. You go to any cemetery and you walk around and you look at the tombstones, you're going to see two dates generally on every tombstone, birth date, death date, birth date, death date, and something in between is called a dash. But that dash is a very important thing because that dash is what you did with your life. Your whole life is defined by that dash. Ever how many years it might be, that describes what you did with your life during that time. Here's the key to remember. Understand something. Even when you come to this point in life, even though it ends this life as we know it, it doesn't end all of life because there's life after life. And he's called eternal life. And there are two eternal destinations, heaven and hell. We don't talk about it very much. We don't hear the word very often. We don't hear the description of this, but this is not the end. This ends your life here. But there's an eternity that continues either in the presence of God for all eternity or absent of the presence of God for all eternity. There's only two options. You're going to spend eternity in one of those two places. Very clear in Scripture. Jesus talked quite a bit about the life beyond this life. And what you do here determines where you spend there. Now, would you agree with me? That's pretty important, is it not? What you do here determines everything that happens after they put you in the ground and they put a date on your tombstone, ever how it's marked. It's going to be, it's going, what you did here will determine what happens in that dimension of life. And God has something for you to do while you're here. Look at Jeremiah the prophet, how he describes God's call in his life. He said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Notice this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. There's never any stronger passage of scripture in the entire Bible. It emphasizes the sanctity of human life. You must understand the sanctity of human life is not 
not a political issue. The sanctity of human life is a biblical issue. That God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, okay? Even before you were conceived, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We certainly know that Jeremiah had a particular appointing in his life by God, a purpose that he has, but we can extrapolate from that the reality that God has a plan. There's something that you're supposed to be doing with your life also. It's God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life involves, first and foremost, how you're to live, what you're to do, and thirdly, where you are to live. Do you know that God's concerned about where you live? I'm asking you the question. Okay. Do you know that God is concerned about? You say, well, what's the big deal about where I live? Let me show you the difference. You can take, it matters where you plant a plant, does it not? You can take a plant that's designed for sandy soil and put it in, in like peat moss or something and you'll kill it. Or you can take a plant that's designed for peat moss and put it in the sand and it'll kill it. Because it will not have the capacity to develop its root system and survive planted in the wrong place. Right? And that's why it's important that you get planted in the right place in your life because God cares about that place because where you are planted, there you can grow roots and roots always determine your fruit, okay? Your, your fruit is always determined by the roots of your life. So God has a will for where you are to live. Let's talk about it in the general spiritual sense. Notice in Psalm 92, verse, verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish, notice, planted in the right place, what are they going to do? Flourish in the courts of our God. Now, this describes being planted in God's house. What does it mean to be planted in God's house? It means to get your roots established among the people of God. We know it in today's world as being planted, being a part of a local gathering of believers. You need a church home. You need a place where you put your roots down spiritually, where you can grow. There are far too many Christians that are floating around from church to church and never put their roots down so that they can serve and grow and learn and be a part of the life of a family of believers gathered together, albeit an imperfect family because there is no perfect church that exists, but you get in where God has called you to be and you get planted in the house of God, you begin to flourish in your life in ways that you could not flourish otherwise. It's not just a matter of that dimension of your life, but every dimension of your life. Take a look at this story from the, the, the example of a man named Lot. Do you remember Lot? Lot was Abraham's nephew. And there came a time when Abraham and Lot had this part company because their, their livestock uh, uh, amounts were so great that they didn't have enough pasture land for both of them. And so they got to divide because of just taking care of all their flocks. And so notice what the Bible says that Lot did. Here's the moment. He's got to decide where he's going to live, where he's going to take care of his family. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So notice this phrase, so Lot did what? Chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. Two men parted company. So here's the moment that Abraham, Abram, who was known at that time, and 
lot are saying, you know, we got to split up. We don't have enough pasture land for all of our flocks. They're growing so much. We need to kind of go in different directions. And Abraham gave Lot the first choice. Abraham looks, uh, excuse me, Lot looks around and says, hey, it looks like a good place. I'll choose to go there. And nowhere in the scripture does he say he inquired of God at all. It says that Lot chose for himself. Now, let me just take it out a little step further for Do you know what territory Lot chose for himself? It was the territory that we now know to be the territory of Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody say bad choice. How did he have such a bad choice? Because he made the choice, what? Himself. He didn't consult God about where he was to live. He said, oh, pastor, you're just making a big deal out of this. No, I'm telling you. He ends up having to flee that. Abraham has to go down and rescue him because he made this choice for himself. So maybe you're still not convinced. Are you ready for this next verse? Here we go. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll, we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business, make money. Oh, I've got a great opportunity. Let's go to this city or that city. We'll carry on our bit. We'll make some money there. Why do you not even know what will happen? Why? Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? And he says, you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, what should you say? If it is whose will? The Lord's will. We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is, what is it? It's evil. And so God has a plan for your life. How you are to live your life. He has a plan for you to understand what you're to do with your life. A plan for where you are to live in your life. And he also has a plan for the value that you are to add to God's kingdom and others through your life. When God made you, he made you to be a value adder. Most people in our world live for what they can get, not what they can give. What's in this for me? That's how most people live. There certainly are times that you need to take into consideration the impact of some decision upon your life. I understand that. I I grasp that. That makes sense. But by and large, in your life, you're not living for you. You're actually living to add value to the world around you. So can I just stop for a moment and ask you a question? What value are you? Are you adding any value to the people around you? Are you adding any value to God's kingdom? Because that's how, that's how God designed you, and that's what he designed you for. Take a look at this passage, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, one translation says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to do good things, which God, notice this, prepared in advance. He planned it. He set the details of these things that we need to be contributors with our life. See, dear ones, remember today that your life isn't your life. My life isn't my life. Our lives are not our lives. When you and I come to relationship with Jesus and give our lives to him, our lives don't belong to us anymore. They belong to him. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought 
at a price. And by the way, that price was the precious blood of Jesus, his life for us on the cross. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with what you do. So we must understand that God has a plan for our life. If God had a plan for Jonah, does God have a plan for you? He does. Here's the second principle for today. What are we learning? What do you do when you want to say no? Remember this. God's plans always require require choices. The story of Jonah is not a story about a man that didn't know what to do. It's a story about a man that knew what to do and didn't do it. Very clear. He knew what to do, but he wouldn't do it. He made a decision to say no to God rather than yes. He ran not only from the plans of God, but he ran from the God of the plans. Anytime you run from God's plan, you're running from the God of the plans. And plans call for choices. You can choose to follow the plan, and that's what real success is when it comes to God, following His plan for your life. Or you can choose to reject His plan and say no to His plan. Notice this diagram, because it leads to two different places. When you live according to your plans, your way, a self-directed life, it might lead to success, but it's a false success. There are a lot of people who will achieve success in this life. Everybody will look at them and say, wow, look at them. They're really successful because outwardly they have all the accoutrements of being successful. Nothing wrong with that. But many will look at them and say, wow, what a success in life. But when it comes to standing before God, they have no success at all. Only the outward success of the world. Or you can live according to God's plans, God's way with a God-directed life, and you can have what kind of success? True success. Because true success is not about what you achieve or accomplish or accumulate in your life. Real success is all about doing the will of God. If you do God's will and nobody ever knows about you, you don't look like a real success based upon the world, but if you did God's will for your life when you stand before Him, will you be successful? Yes, all you need to focus on in your life is doing God's will for your life because that is what success is all about. Let me give you this verse of Scripture before we go to our final point today. Let me set it up for you. Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers about the foundation he's laid spiritually with them, teaching them the truth of God's Word, the gospel. And then he says, by the way, once I've laid the foundation... You're going to build on the foundation that I've already laid, so you've got to be careful how you build. And he says, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. You can use gold or silver or jewels, or you can choose wood, hay, or stubble or straw. He says, when you build on this spiritual foundation, you can choose to build with really good stuff, or you can choose to build with stuff that's not going to last forever. But on the judgment day, Paul says, notice this, on the judgment day, when you stand before God, God, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. And then he says, if the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. Notice this. You can have a relationship with God and know Jesus and be going to heaven. Because what gets you into heaven? You don't get yourself into heaven. What gets you into heaven is faith in Jesus. One thing only. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have 
everlasting life. And so if you believe in Jesus, truly believe with a real faith in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, you can be saved. That's salvation. But you can be saved but never do anything for God. Are you with me here? There's a lot of Christians who are going to heaven. But once they get there, they're building their lives with wood and hay and straw. And by the, when they stand before God and the fire of judgment comes on their life, oh, they're going to be saved. They'll still be in heaven, but they will have no, re, no, no additional rewards of heaven. It'll all be consumed. But there are other believers who say, you know what? Jesus is my Savior. I want to give everything I possibly can to growing in my relationship with Him. I want to build my life with gold and silver and precious stones. I want to build my life by using my life for God's purpose. And they stand before God. And I will tell you something. When the fire burns up the wood, the hay, and the straw, it can't destroy the gold, the silver, and the jewels. Amen? Amen. And there's a reward promise. So it's important the choices that we make. And the choices that we make every day in our life. So God has a plan for your life. But the plan for your life involves choices on your part. Daily choices on your part. And here's the last thing we're going to talk about today. We're just about done here. Read it with me. Wrong reasoning results in wrong choices. I want to get down to the bottom line here. Why would anybody say no to God? Because their reasoning is wrong. They're not thinking the right way. Okay? Anytime you say no to God, it's because something's gone wrong with your thinking. Because anybody really in their right mind would never say no to God. If you're thinking the right way, you would never say no to God if you're in your right mind. And so there must be something wrong with our thinking if we say no to God. And this is exactly what goes on with Jonas. I was reading this story. I'm thinking, why did you say no? And it's very clear in the scripture why he said no in verse 3. But Jonah, notice this, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. We saw that a moment ago. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to, notice this, to flee from the Lord. So in these two statements, we see very clearly why he did this. He was thinking the wrong way. He thought as silly as it was, if I go to Tarshish, if I flee from the Lord, if I flee from God's call in my life, I can get away from God. If I go far enough west, I can leave God behind. See how silly that is? See, he thought of Israel as the land of God. God lives in Israel. He certainly doesn't live in Spain. If I can get away from God, I can get away from my problem. And so he made probably the classic dumbest decision anybody's ever made in their entire life to think, if I just run west, I can outrun God. Okay? I will run away from him. Worst thinking in the world. But we're guilty of the same kind of thinking, aren't we? Amen. It's just different. We convince ourselves that we don't have to say yes to God for a variety of reasons. We can say no to God whenever we want to because we think the wrong way. Let me just see if I can expose some of the wrong thinking just for a moment. Because when you're thinking wrong, you don't know it. When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. 
because that's the, that's the definition of deception, okay? The defini definition of deception is you don't know what's true, okay? And so oftentimes it takes a little prodding, a little bit of insight and reflection to think about our thinking. So I want you to challenge your thinking just a little bit today. What are you thinking about God and God's will for your life? Let me lay out some of the false reasoning that gets into our thinking at times. Sometimes we think like this. Yeah, I really know what's better for me than God does. You ever think that way? Oh, I, I kind of know what, what's going to be better for me. You know, I'm not sure God really knows what's best for me. And so I, I've got, you know, you may not, you're not going to say this because you're a good Christian. You're not going to say these kind of things because often you don't even know you're thinking them, but we're going to pull back the covers today. How many times in life are you resisting God or saying no to God because in your mind you're saying something like this, I know what's better for me than, what, than God does for my life. If that one doesn't fit you, try this one on. Maybe I can get God to bless my plans. Oh God, I've got some really good plans. I know you're busy, God, running the universe, and so I just figured it out for you. And here's the paper. Don't look at it. Just sign it, okay? okay. Here's the contract. Kind of put another piece of paper on top of it. God, just uh, signature right there, God. That's all I want. Signature on my plans. I got it all worked out. If you'll just do it this way, that would be awesome, God. We can go on. You can go back to where in the universe. I'll go ahead and do what I need to do. Just bless my plans. And God says, I don't bless your plans, Okay. I give you plans, okay? But many times we want to bring our plans to God and seek God's blessing on what we want rather than finding out what he, what he does, what He wants for our lives. Amen? Okay, how about this next one? Reasoning. Bad reasoning leads to rad choices in your life. It was true for Jonah, it's true for us. I don't know if I can really trust God to take care of me. Perhaps I can... Take better care of myself. I don't know if I can really trust God. The key word here is trust. I'm not sure I can really trust God. I know God's asking me to step out of my comfort zone and give. Or God's asking me to step out of my comfort zone and serve. Or God's asking me to do something. I don't know if I can really trust Him. If I, if I give... I'm not sure I'm going to have enough. So I'm not, I don't know if I can trust God's word. If I serve, I'm not sure I'm going to be taken care of. So I, maybe I'm going to hold this back. If I start encouraging other people like I'm supposed to be doing, what about me? How am I going to be encouraged? We could go on and on. And so we think, I'm not sure I can really trust God to take care of me. And at the root issue of disobedience many times is this issue of can I really trust God with my life, with whatever he asked me to do? That was part of Jonah's problem. He didn't know how to trust God with his call upon his life. The next one is, some people say it this way, you know, following God's too hard, the sacrifice won't be worth it. Maybe that's your reasoning. And I will tell you, following God at times in this world can be hard. Can I get an amen right there? Okay. If you're looking for something easy to do, I don't know, join a club somewhere, I don't know, do something else. Okay. So being a Christian at times is, is going to be hard. And it's going to require some sacrifice. It's just a reality of what it is. But here's the deal. It's always worth it. 
But the devil will try everything possible to tell you living for God and sacrificing for God and people rejecting you and not liking you because you're a Christian and standing up at times for what is right with your convictions, not in an arrogant sort of way, but just based upon your own inner convictions of morality. You have to be aware of the fact that that, that's going to cost you something at times, but it's worth it for you to do that because there's a blessing on the other side of that in your life. But the devil will try to do everything to wear you down. How about this next one? Maybe this is for somebody here today. Here's your thinking. I'm just having too much fun to follow God. I'll consider it later. Maybe later. Oh, Pastor Dale, I'm just, life is kind of fun right now. I don't want God to mess it up. One of these days when I get a little older, when I get like, like as old as you, Pastor Dale, then maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll start loving serving God at that point in time. Later, later, later. It's what I call the manana syndrome. Okay. And manana, if you don't know what that word means, go home and look it up, okay? It means tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Just give me another day, God. These are all very subtle forms of thinking that get in our system and cause us to say no when we should say yes. To combat this, one final verse of Scripture. Jesus said, here's the cure for it all, okay? This is the pill to take, okay? that will cure every one of these things that we just described. But seek first His, God's kingdom, and His righteousness and everything else, all these things will be given to you as well. If you get this in place, everything else will fall in place. Amen? Let me tell you, when you want to say no to God, don't say no. Say yes. Bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, we thank you today. For your word, Lord, many of us, all of us at some point in time, when you were dealing with us about things in our life, instead of saying yes, we said no, we've all gone astray, we've all been resistant to you. And Lord, today we ask for your forgiveness for all those times that we ran to Tarshish just like Jonah did, thinking we could run away from you. But Lord, we find out that you're where we're running toward. And I pray that today you would, in our hearts and minds, rekindle in us a fresh commitment that when you're dealing with us about any area of our life, that our first, quickest response will be, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Teach us to be yes people to you, saying yes to everything you ask of us. Seal this word in our heart. By your Holy Spirit, we ask it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me, and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray. And you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out, and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God, and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. 
I believe that you are God's son. I believe that you are the savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.